Hey, church, good morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to turn, if you have a Bible with you, can you can grab that and turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible with you today, it's going to be on the screen, but just in honor of God's word today as we start out, we're just going to read through a little passage of scripture as we start our morning together. So this is Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and are ministering to him. You can find your seats. This passage kind of sets the trajectory of where I want to go with today's message. And it's kind of odd. Odd for a few reasons, right? Odd at the very beginning, because there's something you need to know about this passage, is that this is Jesus's commencement moment, his baptism at the very beginning. He got physically baptized, right? This is his commencement moment, the cutting of the ribbon where his earthly ministry is about to begin. Jesus got the physically baptized, anointed with the Spirit, announced, affirmed, and officially bearing the heavenly affirmation of God, you'd expect him to ride that emotion right into the people. He's got the moment. He's got the attention. He's got the crowds. You expect him to just ride that right up and start his ministry. Yet what does the Spirit do? As Mark says, it says, immediately he was taken. Immediately he was driven to the wilderness. For 40 days and for 40 nights. Come on. Who's good at waiting? Not me, okay? So you have all these people's attention. You have all their captain. The Lord just said, behold, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. And he gets forced into the wilderness alone for a little vacation with the devil. Come on, what's going on here, Jesus? What is happening? We're terrible at waiting. My birthday is on January 22nd. My wife gave me my birthday present last week. We're very bad at waiting. The Spirit immediately drove him to the wilderness. Why is this? Because the wilderness, the silence, the solitude is where we receive God's power. In the wilderness, the way we go about our mission becomes clear. It's given shape. 
I like how Eugene Peterson says this. He says, now in the clear desert air, discernments take place. (laughs) We discern lies woven into the fine rhetoric of the pursuit of happiness. We discern incongruities between pretense and performance. Wilderness time, desert time, time to see the way of Jesus taught against the devil's way. Time in the wilderness guards the way of Jesus from presumption and misapprehension, from naivety and self-absorption. You know what's so interesting about Jesus' testing? Is Satan does not challenge his mission. He does not challenge his identity. He does not challenge the authority he walks in. He challenges the way that Jesus does his ministry. If you think about the the things that Jesus has tested and tried with, many of those things he either does or does a various uh, type of that challenge, right? Turn stones to bread? How about feeding 5,000 people with just a loaf of bread? Here's a loaf. All of you go and enjoy lunch. It's on me. You guys are a cheap date. Saved from death? Luke 4, 28 and 30, right after this event, says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But, passing through their midst, he went away. Authority on earth? (laughs) He's God? I think authority and power are kind of perks of the job. Just like me eating the goldfish from Kids on the Rock is a perk of my job. (laughs) He doesn't need more authority. He already has it. So no, Satan doesn't take this tactic of getting into his mind, trying to question, do you have what it takes, Jesus? Are you actually God's son? Are you actually the Messiah? Can you do it? He doesn't do any of that. He challenges them with things that he's already going to do. I believe the testing of Jesus shows us that there is a way to do things and simultaneously a way not to do things. Brady and I uh, live in the same town and occasionally we'll ride in and back to, from work. And there's a point in the drive where you can either go left through town or straight around town and both places gets me to where I want to be, my house. Braden. God bless his pointy little ears. (laughs) Always turns left. And I have to have this internal dialogue with myself. That is not the right way. This is the way. Around town. And maybe you guys are like that, right? If you're a person that eats candy cane by chomping on it like a carrot then you need to come to the altar and confess at the end of service because that is just wrong. There's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's not a lot of variation in how to get to God right there. There's one way, the Jesus way. This is the way. I hope you guys are getting the reference, the Mandalorian reference. I've put it all throughout this book. If you like the Mandalorian, I'm going to say this is the way a lot. And every time I say it, I have the theme song running on my head. Okay, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. (laughs) There's like three people in the room that's for you. That's great. So Satan comes, showing Jesus another way of doing things, right? 
an abhorrent and abominable way. Jesus, you're hungry? Exert your will on these stones. Force them to become bread. Feed yourself. Feed the hungry. You can cure poverty. Jesus, think of all the might come follow you by following your power. Throw yourself from this great height. Throw yourself from here. Ah, ooh, the crowd. Display your power. Become a commodity, a show, a cheap weekend display. But your following will grow. You came to save the world? I'll give you the world. You can exact the justice. You can exact the system. You can implement the authority and the system that you've always wanted. All you have to do is bow the knee. All these things are not necessarily bad. As we said, Jesus even displays many of them throughout his ministry here on earth. Yet what we are presented with is a Jesus way versus a different way of living. When we follow these other ways of living, we buy into the lie that we can accomplish the mission. We can be a good Christian. That we can be a Christ follower at the cost of becoming impersonal, efficient, self-reliant, doing things that sound good, look good, might even do good. But when we do God's way any other way than the Jesus way, we fall short of the abundant life promised and bow the knee to something other than God. Real quick, I um, wear a few hats here, and one of them is the children's pastor downstairs, and so usually I'm downstairs. And as I'm looking around the room, I see a lot of parents with little kids, and we haven't been able to get got, uh, the children's ministry for little babies running yet. If you have a kid here, my grandpa went to the same church 70 years one of the things he said to me is he says, I love hearing the babies cry in church. So if you have a kid here, I don't care if they're screaming. I'm glad you're here. Because it's going to be my kids in a few minutes, so just got to justify it, okay? Right. Why am I bringing all this up? Why am I bringing this way of Jesus, right? This is not a new concept for us. This is not a new concept to our church. We've preached it We've taught it. It's even on our walls. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, right? This year has been marked by unimaginable events. I feel that as we attempt to recuperate and move forward, the temptation to pursue other ways arise, and we can easily, quickly lay aside the Jesus way because following Jesus is not actually natural. It's not easy. It takes intentionality. It takes a decision to choose to follow the Jesus way, and that's hard. It's so easy to quickly throw out following the way of Jesus, the way the things we know is right, for the easy things, the reactionary things, the responsive things. And so I just felt this strong conviction today to just bring up two things for our last message of the year. And the first of them is just ending well. How do we end this year well? Marked by so much hardship, how do we end 2020 well? This year has been unimaginably difficult for so many of us and so many in our nation. If death hornets are one of the least hard things you have to deal with, 
you may have just lived through a hard year. Come on, how many people even remember those things, right? But this year has been so difficult, and statistics prove this. Surveys say that something like 40% of Americans have dealt with extremely uh, hard mental issues like depression and anxiety and worry. 13 and a half of us have turned to substance abuse due to COVID-related reasons. In June, the suicidal rate skyrocketed. Something like a third of millennials entertained suicidal thoughts. And all of these stats have blown up and inflated if you compare them to any other year. This year has been an extremely hard year on us as a people and a nation. I've seen this uptick personally here in our church with our youth group and our congregation, our young adults. I've experienced it. I've been on the other side of the table on my couch as I've heard people share the difficulties that this year has wrought on them. It's been a very, very hard year for all stages of life, all ages in life. How do we cope with this? What do we do? It's been such a trying year. We have to move on. We have to push forward. We have to find a way to cope, a way to recuperate. And maybe you're not one of the 13.5% that's turned to substance abuse. But there, like Satan describes, are a lot of other ways out there. There's only one Jesus way, but there is a lot of other ways out there. There's a lot of ways out of this year that you could follow and pursue. Eugene Peterson again says, certainly there is no shortage of emotionally drab people in the world living dead-end lives, drifting from one fix to another. No shortage of men and women devoid of an inner life, missing out on so much, therefore vulnerable to addictions of all sorts. Sex, drugs, alcohol, food, the adrenaline rush, the crumbs from criminal acts. Even church can become a way to escape. Package Jesus as a commodity for the weekend diversion or use Jesus as a hedge against boredom. Maybe those things don't fit you. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe that's been your uh, vehicle of choice this year. Maybe we can buy our way out of misery. Did you, we didn't just get a black Friday this year. We got a black November. Deals all the time. You made it through Christmas. My inbox is already filling up with New Year's deals that we cannot miss out on. I bought two bags of coffee yesterday, Justin, because they're such a good price, right? Come on. Maybe it's not materialism. Maybe it's gluttony. In pain, an author says that we gravitate towards comfort. I just have to sit on this couch and binge watch TV and Netflix. All I can do is eat and drink to find some comfort from this year. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's despair, depression. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it is wounding each other. We do this because we're trying to find happiness. I've heard from several people this year, many people this year, that the justifying sin because it brings happiness. I know it's wrong, but it makes me happy. I know it's wrong, but is it really that bad if it makes me happy? I know I shouldn't, but trying to find happiness, trying to figure out how to deal with this pain and frustration and the hardness of this year. We turn to many ways, but there's only one way out, which is the Jesus way. This acceptance of sin, this coping with 20, are all avenues to get out, but none of them will lead to contentment. 
They may lead to happiness. Money buys happiness. Doing the wrong thing can buy happiness. You can be happy for a moment because happiness is circumstantial. It's transient. and it comes and it goes. I'm happy Christmas morning. I open my gift and I don't have a PS5 and I'm sad. Happiness comes and goes. If you can imagine a glass in my hand, Imagine it broken. Happiness is like filling the glass and filling the glass and filling the glass. But as much as I fill this glass, it will never be filled because it's got a crack in the bottom and it'll continue to run out. And you'll have to keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring and the cycle continues and spins out. When we try to focus on happiness, you cannot be fulfilled. If our goal is to just be happy people who raise happy children, we will find destruction and despair. Why? Because you were not, I was not, created for happiness. It's a nice byproduct of doing the right thing. It comes and goes, though. I was created for God. Using this quote from Dallas Willard, I've used this several times. It's probably verging on being overused, but I just do not care because it's so good. Dallas Willard says this, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made to need God, made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it's displaced on things that will certainly lead to destruction. You were created needy. Some of you are a little more needy than others. <laughs> we were created needy. We were created needing something. As soon as a baby is born, they need to be fed and they need to be warm. As soon as you enter this earth, you were created needing something. And God did that on purpose because he's drawing you to himself. But like Dallas said, if you displace that need onto other things, maybe buying things will heal this. Maybe uh, getting the bigger house will do this. Maybe if I had kids that obeyed me and let me sleep at night. Maybe if I had, you fill in the blank. If you displace that need onto those things, you will never find satisfaction. You will never find contentment. You will never find peace. Because like Jesus said, there's only one way the Jesus way. We were created for communion with God. And when we do God's way, the, uh, any other way than the Jesus way, we fall short of the abundant life promised and bow the knee to something other than God. John 14, 13, Jesus says it this way. Jesus said to her, the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up of eternal life. Instead of a cracked cup that always runs empty, you get a spring of water that just continually refills and recharges and gives you life. Reflecting on this year, and thinking about it, one of the things that saddens me so much is that in the midst of deep pain, loss, despair, hopelessness, is the lack of unity that created in us as a nation. 
Instead of coming together, we use pain and frustration to wound each other and to hurt each other. Can you love somebody and still have different opinions and views? Yes. Is there a place for healthy debate? Yes. I don't feel as a culture, as a nation, and even if I'm really honest with you, even as a church, we've done that. There are moments this year as I read things that came up onto my feed on Facebook and Instagram, I just could not believe, knowing the people that said them, that they would post those. I could not believe that those people would ever say those to me or to anybody else, to their face, let alone post them online. Why? Because it's so easy to find any other way than the Jesus way. It's so easy to be hurt and then to hurt other people because hurting people hurt people. And if we fail and lack to turn to God with that, like Dallas said, you have the opportunity for destruction. So where does that leave us? Where does all of this have to do with ending this year well? If only, if only there was a Jesus way, if only there was a way that we create a space for God to meet us, if only there was a practice that might foster healing and unity in us. Well, it doesn't exist, so you can just go home and we'll meet you guys in 2021, okay? Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm just kidding. There is a way. And it's a practice called confession. I got, I was, uh, I, I've rewritten this message probably at this point about five times. I just, just, just couldn't get it right. Couldn't get that, like I had the material, I had the, the, the study, I had the quotes, I had the Bible verses, but it just wasn't landing right. And then yesterday, as I was napping, kind of in this semi-conscious place of napping and hearing kids screaming, okay? They're like over, out, out blasting my sound machine, okay? Um, in this fog of being awake and asleep, I got this phrase, confession leads to blessing. Confessing leads to blessing. It's important to pay attention. It's important when you have a phrase or a picture that's something that pops into your mind that's not of you. It's important to pay attention and say, God, are you speaking to me? When I grabbed that phrase and I started sitting with it and thinking about it and praying on it, I felt like this is finally it. This is what the piece has been missing. Is This is how we end this year well, is confession. I really believe that confessing leads to blessing. In a year where so much hurt has been done and much loss has been put on us, the words, I am sorry, or I forgive you, will go a long, long way. So what's confession? Confession, there are two types. There's private and there's corporate confession. Private is what happened to you at your moment of salvation. Nobody can do that for you. That's something you have to do with the Lord. It's something you confess, Lord, I've fallen short of your glory and I receive your sanctifying work in me. But there's also a lot of scripture and biblical references backing the corporate profession. If you have a Catholic background, I was baptized in a Catholic church and most of my family professes as a Catholic. I grew up going to mass as much as I grew up to going to any other church. If you have that, if you have that background, confession is not an abstract thought for you. It's something you've probably participated in or seen done. Corporate confession, they have that down in the Catholic church. It's something that might lack a little bit more. 
in other denominations. And I felt a strong, just, a strong yearning to just bring corporate confession to the stage today. Corporate confession is where I felt the emphasis for today's word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's stead. He forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secret of our confession as God keeps it. And when I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. When I have hurt somebody, and I'm saying I, Pastor Josh, when I have hurt somebody, when I find myself in a cycle of sin and realize that I've been living wrong, I've personally found that the discipline of corporate confession is the vehicle that leads me to breakthrough and to peace. And I'm not saying come up here and saying, I declare, right? None of that. It's a one-on-one. Going to somebody you trust. Going to somebody you know. Going to somebody that you know is spiritually mature and that will lead you from there to the grace of God. We're not flippant with it. It's not something we just throw out for everybody to know. It's still a deeply private thing, but it's an invitation to bring your community in and vulnerable with people around you so that we can support and grow as a community of people trying to become like Christ. We are going to talk on this at length, a whole message dedicated to this in March when we get to community, February when we get to community. But I just felt this strong yearning to bring this to you today as a focus for ending 2020. The confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. Augustine Hippo. Confession is a realization of how disgusting, how abhorrent our sin is to God. When I was thinking about this, I never got this image before. I never quite understood it this way before. But Jesus at the, the climax, the culmination, the, the, the top, the, the final moment of the cross he says this in Matthew 27, 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that because in that moment, this mysterious process that I can't fake understanding, this mysterious thing happens where Jesus takes on literally the sin of the whole world. And at the climax, of the culmination, at the moment of death on the cross, he embodies sin. He is sin. To pay the price for the knowledge that Adam and Eve bought all the way back in the garden. And at that moment, God could not be in the presence of sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our wounding of others, the ways that we cope with pain and frustration, if it's not the Jesus way, separates us from the sweet communion that God promises. But church, Jesus died on that cross so that he'd be raised three days later to create not only a bridge from us to God, but from God to us. Eugene Peterson says it's a two-lane highway with no car jams. It's a bridge of communion and community that goes both ways constantly. We now have our bridge back to God. The price has been paid. The old covenant is done. And a new covenant is now here where God is present. God is near. And like we said Christmas Eve, just a breath prayer away. 
The practice of corporate confession is what steers us from the wrong way back to the right way and puts us back in communion with God. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confession is very difficult for us because I, because we are prideful people. It's easy to think that I can do this on my own. Self-reliant, that I can figure out this, I can figure this out by myself. If I just confess this to God, in some circumstances, that's appropriate. But the Bible teaches both ways of confession, private and corporate. Confession unifies us. It strengthens us. I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with a student or a young adult or a person in my office of saying, I didn't know until this happened that there were other Christians struggling with you fill in the blank. I, did, I thought I was the only one. Richard Foster says that freedom begets freedom. When you confess, it opens a door for the other person to find freedom as well. It unifies. It strengthens us. It removes doubt of sincerity, the doubt of whether we did it right, if we meant, really, really meant it. Confession brings community in to encourage you, to build you, to bring healing to what we've experienced, the wounds we've experienced. Richard Foster says it again, in private confession, we have prayed, even begged forgiveness, and though we hope we have been forgiven, we sense no release. We doubt forgiveness and despair at our confession. I can attest to this. I can attest to the moments where I've just prayed to God and said, God, I forgive, but I doubt myself if I've actually really mean it. Will I just go back to this tomorrow? Will next month look no different than today? But yet when I take the humbling step of going to somebody that I trust and saying, this is where I found myself. I found this release of a burden and power that has been over me. When I talk and counsel people in addiction, and I think, Dad, you've even said this to me before, one of the first things that I do is check on their community. Have you invited somebody else in to help you with this? Are you struggling? Are you can't get out of this? Have you not sinned? Hasn't been able to break that certain hold over your life? Invite other people in to help you. I can't really describe the sense of peace and the lifting of weight when I've practiced this in my own life. So how, how do we go about this? What does a corporate confession look like? I'm not going to say this name right, but it's something like St. Alphonsus Liguori says this. For a good confession, it has three things. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid the sin. An examination we read in the very beginning that Jesus got away into the silence and solitude. As we close this year out, as we have hours and days left to us, my encouragement to us as a church and a congregation, as a community, is to spend some time intentionally. Make the time. It will not just happen for you. You're not just going to wake up and be like, wow, I have three hours all to myself today. How'd this happen? You have to make the time. Make the time to sit in the quiet. Sit in the silence and invite God to speak to you. 
Now, my, my Enneagram ones in the room and people type A people, I need you to hear me, that you need to be very careful with this because it is very easy to go down a dark rabbit hole of self-condemnation. You do not need to be the one leading this conversation. Let Jesus lead it for you. And when you can get out of that conversation, get out of it quickly, okay? So simply sit for a little bit, take some time to sit with Jesus, and maybe pray this prayer. Lord, show me anything from this year, anything that I have done that is blocking me from fully experiencing you. And then just sit. If something comes to mind, write it down. Don't justify it. Don't try to uh, uh, over-explain it away. Just write it down. Don't overanalyze it. Be honest. Be open. Be vulnerable to receive what God might talk to you. Secondly is sorrow. In order to turn from something, you must be sorrowful. You must find remorse. You must have a desire to return to the way of Jesus. This is the energy that propels you from discovery to recovery. What gets you from understanding this is a way that maybe something that's blocking me from God is being sorry about that and having desire to return to the way of Jesus, desire to return to community with God. And lastly is a determination to avoid sin. Strength is found in community. If you have an addiction, if you're struggling with a cycle of sin that just keeps going over and over and over in your life, I challenge you, I encourage you, I plead and ask you to try corporate confession. Satan wants to keep you in the dark. He wants to keep your sin down in the darkness. But when we bring it up and put it into the light, John 1.5 says the darkness could not overcome the light. When we expose things is when God can smack them down. But if we don't take that step, we partner with Satan in another way, not the Jesus way, a way that we can do it on our own. Lastly, this is, I just want to encourage you with this, is that confession brings sorrow. It begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. There is a celebration in the forgiveness of sins because it results in a genuinely changed life. Scripture says that the angels, when even one of the least of these comes back to the fold, the angels celebrate. I have to imagine that one of us or anybody does a confession and gets on the right way of Jesus, that that at least allows them to go get a burger from Culver's. At the very minimum. I mean, come on, and that better be a double butter burger. We celebrate because a life that was going astray is back in alignment with God. In my family, I'm half Polish and half Vietnamese, and so I pull a weird mixed bag of traditions from both sides of that. On the Polish side, we do something called the platykai. And it's this wafer, this white rice wafer, very similar to communion, but it's a big one. And imagine just eating a whole bunch of that. It doesn't taste very good, okay? But the practice is you go around the dinner table, you go around with the family before you do Christmas dinner, before you open the presents, and you literally go to somebody and you break off a piece of their bread, they break a piece of bread from yours, and you say, peace be with you. It's a time where before the new year comes upon us, we find reconciliation with each other. Please forgive me for the offense given to you this year. Do not let us carry it into the next and blessings found. Confession for us, I really believe, 
is that as the year dwindles down, let's not carry our sins from this year over. Invite God, invite community in, that we can just put these aside and position ourselves to thrive in 2021. Maybe this is the year that that relationship is fixed. Maybe this is the year that that dark thing that's done in the dark comes out and is put into the light. Maybe this is the year that that nasty thing that's been holding on to you for so long that you just can't quite shake comes out and you find community that's going to walk with you and help you through it. I said we had two things to do. I wanted to end the year well. And the last is that I just need to encourage some of you on the camera and in the room. This year has been marked by so much pain and disappointment. And a lot of this, and many of us, it was not our fault. It was done to us. There's so much pointless suffering and pain and sin that enters this world. And maybe you, like me, and many others this year have experienced that. You are hurting because of a loss. You are hurting because of disappointment. You are hurting because something happened to you. It was not your fault. You have nothing to confess. You've been hurt. I have a word for you today, if that's you. <laughs> One of God's amazing attributes is that he is not an impersonal father. He sits with us. He feels with us. That's why Christ suffered for you and I, that he would not be aloof or distant. We don't have a time to dig into this story very deep, but I'm going to give you a brief overview. I heard this message preached about eight years ago. When I heard it, I wrote it down, and it's been with me since then. And this is a story about a young slave girl that gave God a new name. And so Genesis 16, we find a slave girl named Hagar. Hagar is carrying Abraham's son, Hagar is experiencing abuse at the hands of Abraham's wife, Sarah. We don't know if it's an emotional or physical, but we just know that it's bad enough that it causes Hagar to run away from the protective tribe of Abraham. It causes her to leave the provision and protection to run in and chance her, take her chances with the wilderness, with bandits, with the heat, with the elements. And in verse 13, we find Hagar at the end of her life. We find Hagar giving up. We find Hagar running away from a bad situation to death. And this is where God meets her. God speaks to her. He finds her. He comforts her. And what evidently what he says to her is enough because Hagar says this in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. Or maybe another way to think of it is that you've experienced the God who sees you. Just because you're in pain this year does not mean that you've been abandoned by God. We serve a God who is present and a God who sees you. What's interesting about the story is that God sends Hagar back to the situation, but he does not promise relief from the situation. He says, go back. And what he does, he says, you have a child in you, and I will make a great nation out of that child. So what he does, he says, I'm not going to relieve the circumstances, but in the pain, I'm growing something in you. In the pain, it's going to be worth it. In the pain, I'm going to resolve it at the end. But I see you. 
I am present with you. I am walking through this with you. God does not promise consistent, immediate relief from every situation and painful situation we've been through this year. But he does promise that he sees you and he's already fixed the end. He's read the last page in the book and it turns out good for you. John Eldridge says this, I don't think God brings us pain, yet pain comes into our lives. What will we do with it? Do not waste your pain. You can ask any woman that's carried a child or has children, was that painful? The answer is yes. (laughs) The pregnancy is hard. The recovery is hard. The sleepless nights are hard. The emotional trauma that comes from raising a kid is hard. But... Is it worth it? Yes. Growth requires pain. Change requires discomfort. I don't know what God's going to do for you, but when I think back on my life, of the hardest years of my life, where friends and mentors and bosses flaked on me, stabbed me in the back, left me high to dry, trusted them and they broke that trust. The church broke my trust. When I think of those times that were the hardest years of my life, I grew in the Lord in ways I didn't know I could. I really do not believe that God brings all pain into our lives. Some of us experience senseless pain this year. But I also believe that God is not going to waste that pain on you. He sees you He's with you in the circumstance. And he will, he can, if you partner with him, if you walk the Jesus way with him, do something good with that pain in your life. Church, would you stand with me as we read this last scripture? 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. Says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we get back up again. No, that's wrong. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Verse 10. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. To say it one other way, in the crushing, in the pressing, you're making new wine. Amen. Let's just sing this chorus together. Let's sing, make me your vessel.
Hey, church, can we just celebrate for a second? Because I believe that some of us are going to take this step this week. I believe that we can rejoice because new life is going to come from this moment on to the rest of the year. That some of us will take this step and go into the next year with sin not following us. So on three, we are going to get a little rowdy. On three, we're going to break out of our shells of comfort. On three, we're going to celebrate like the angels in heaven when comes back. One, two, three. Come on, church. Let's get excited. Let's go. Let's go. Luke 4, verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. I want to position you guys for 2021. We are about to walk into 21 days of fasting and prayer. Jesus was anointed, baptized physically, anointed and confirmed from heaven, but he returned from the fast in the power of the Spirit. Fasting will do something in you. Fasting will do things that you didn't understand. John Mark Comer says, as we fast from food, we feast on the spirit. My encouragement to you today is to make a choice to participate. Determine to get involved. From this moment, you have about two weeks to get your book. It's online, it's on the app, and if you can't afford it, stop at the events table and we will give you a book. Once you get that book, you need to do pages 125 through 145 by the 10th. That will help you determine your fast and help you plan it because it will not just happen. All the junk food in your house will not mysteriously get into the garbage overnight. You have to do that, come on. So read those pages 125 through 145, go to the app to join a group or to volunteer to host a group and that's it. I love you, God bless you. Let me pray for us and then we are dismissed today. Father, thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Lord, this has been an incredibly hard year with so much despair, pain, and loss that we cannot count or bear it, Father. But thank you, God, that you are enough. Thank you, God, for giving us a way out of our present circumstances and promising that you have got it under control. As we move forward, Father, help us to just feel your presence today. Help us to feel your eyes upon us. Help us to feel your tangible presence, God, right next to us. In Jesus' mighty name, church, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you in 2021. Amen.